Gain Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We are coming to you on a uh, Friday towards the end of summer. Uh, we're in August, so will probably be released maybe about uh, early September. So uh, by now, I imagine uh, you know your commutes are longer because the kids are back in school, school buses are running around. Uh, you know, and, uh, and now, you know, you've got the solace of your home office without kids is what I'm imagining people, uh, listening to this, but today we've got an awesome episode. Uh, I've got Rohan and I've got Gopal from, uh, Deloitte and they come to us because of a, uh, I would say a very, uh, big topic that we keep hearing about in our community, um, around AI. And so, um, I think this is going to be a super interesting conversation today on maybe some actionable ways that you all are seeing teams think about AI, implement it, and be able to use it effectively. Uh, before we jump into that, I would love to maybe uh, let the audience get to know you a little bit more. So uh, maybe just give a quick uh, quick kind of name, title, uh, where you're coming to us from today. And then uh, my icebreaker question for you right now is if you were going to win uh, kind of a, a full category on Jeopardy. Uh, if you were going to run from like, you know, top to bottom, you were just going to wipe out the whole category. Um, what would it be? Uh, so Rohan, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. And thanks for having me. Um, so um, I'm based in New York uh, and I'm a partner at Deloitte. Um, and, to answer your, and, and to answer your question, actually, um, I probably am going to pick Italian cooking. I've been really experimenting with Italian cooking over the last year or so. Um, Started out with very simply just boiling pasta, but now it's gotten more advanced into making my own sauces, even making my own pasta. So um, maybe when you're out in New York, I can have you guys over um, and, and you can give me a sense of whether it's working or not, but probably Italian cooking to answer your question. I love that. Uh, my wife and I went through uh, a similar phase, especially like right uh, when the pandemic had started, we uh, started doing that. And we've like my, mo- my, uh, my wife had done like an all day sauce, uh, you know, like making some of the sauces and stuff. And uh, you can definitely taste the difference when it's like uh, nicely done. So I will, uh, I'll take you up on that next time. Uh, uh, Gopal, how about you? Uh, Gopal Srinivasan, I'm a partner at Deloitte. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where uh, I'm uh, talking to you today. It's uh, very early in the morning, but still fresh and crisp before the day gets too busy. Uh, my topic would be uh, Franco-Belgian comics in English. And uh, I'm being very specific because, as the name suggests, Franco-Belgian comics are in French. And I don't know a ton of French, but I've learned some along the way. And uh, it is a vast universe of comics. It's the largest comics industry in the world. Uh, beats oh, wow. the uh, DC and Marvel comics in the U.S. by a mile. Uh, but only a small selection is available in English, uh, which is how I have been exposed to them and have come to love them. Uh, The most perhaps famous series or title that anyone in the U.S. might recognize would be Tintin. So it belongs to uh, a very, very popular, maybe not so much here in the the U.S., but a very, very popular genre of uh, uh, comics. Wow, I uh, had no idea, and I. Uh, but you meant when you mentioned the U.S. comics, you know, like uh, some of the Marvel and DC. Like my my brother and I used to collect 
uh, comics and we were actually going through my parents' house. Maybe they just moved about two or three years ago and we went up in the attic and found a, a box. And, uh, and then we just started fighting over them, you know, about who got to keep which ones um, and whatnot. Uh, so I'm gonna have to go check that out. That's, a, that's really, it's super interesting. Um, how did you, uh, can you find them in the U.S. in terms of like buying them, or do you? Yeah, I mean, like buy them on eBay from uh, from other countries. Print is harder to find, but now with digital, you can pretty much find anything online. So it's become much easier. Yeah, and and actually, there's been a not to take up the whole. I can end up taking this whole <laughs> podcast just talking about this, but there's been a revival in the last few years as uh, digital comics have uh, become more prominent, and uh, the European Union has actually invested in. Uh, driving more translation into English as a cultural uh, initiative. So there are more titles now yeah. coming in English and also available worldwide because you can buy it on Kindle or whatever your digital platform of choices. Ah, oh, that's super interesting. Well, uh, I like to answer the question too, just to give you a sense. So I, uh, I'm a big sports fan. I grew up watching every sport um, since when I was young. And so I feel like if I was in a Jeopardy category, if it was kind of a, uh, um, I was like, ba- I was the kid back in the day that would get like the newspaper and I would just go read like the sports section and all the box scores. And like, I would get down to that detail. So I feel like I could kind of like not 1990s, I feel like was like that era where I just did it all the time. So I feel like I could go kind of crush like kind of any sports category from like 1990s. I feel like I could kind of be good at like piecing together who, you know, uh, sports players and teams from that, that era. So that's like, uh, something I just remember back in the day that, you know, sticks sticks with me. Um, all right. Well, today we um, are going to dive into, you know, AI. I think um, in our community, there's definitely discussions. And I think there's, um, I don't know, I think people kind of vacillate from various points of view. There's the, oh my gosh, AI is coming to take my job. Um, is it going to automate everything? And are we going to lose CSMs? And is it like the human interaction uh, going to go away for B2B tech companies? Um, I, I think that's one end of the spectrum. And I think the other end is, oh my gosh, how do I invest in this? Um, how do I kind of get ahead of the curve? How do I use this to my advantage um, and really make sure that our experience is, um, you know, becoming something that we can uh, scale and actually uh, kind of use this in the right ways. And so uh, maybe just a jumping off point is um, from all the work and research that you all are doing, um, what makes it different right now with, you know, some of the technologies that are emerging in AI and kind of the use cases that we're starting to see, like what makes this different maybe than years ago um, from, I think when this, you know, AI has, has kind of uh, been born. I, th- I think the, the biggest uh, change right now, Jeff, is that with, uh, it, so I think we have to first begin by acknowledging that AI is not any one single thing. It's a general term yeah. that is used to refer to a family, a set of technologies that all do, something related but different things and work in different ways. But I think the key difference this time is with generative AI, it has made AI more approachable. Before this, AI was essentially something uh, a techie or a geek would do. You would really need to uh, understand a lot of deep uh, techniques, uh, programming languages, and have to to be able to write uh, machine learning algorithms and and so on. Uh, But what generative AI has made is because of its ability to take input and, again, respond in natural language, it's made it far more approachable to the average person. And I think that's what is the significant leap that we're seeing with uh, 
the the latest uh, set of uh, technologies that have uh, come to the fore and uh, has has in in addition to just the ability to uh, interact in that way the fact that um, many of these large language models as they've come to be called come trained on one could say the world's knowledge given that so much of it is out there on the open internet they have a lot more context knowledge uh, they can reason and therefore uh, in addition to their generative capabilities are able to do a whole lot of new things that uh, that that make it much more relatable and approachable to the average person yeah it's it, i i found it super interesting just digging around myself um you know, in the last number of year, like year or so. Um, and like you mentioned, like the approachability, right? When you can kind of put out a uh, an application like mm-hmm. a chat GPT or a BARD uh, that makes it very accessible to a larger number of the population and people can start to use it and kind of get some of the um, basics down, then you start to see, oh, okay, like uh, now you're starting to see, I think how they can translate that into ideas for their business or ideas for uh, even their own, you know, how do you use AI in, our, in their own technologies or whatnot? Uh, but Rohan, I'm curious, maybe from your standpoint, is there, uh, is there some early use cases that you're starting to, to notice uh, that teams are kind of jumping to, you know, where it's like, hey, this is just kind of an easy place that we can start to, to kind of plug in some of these generative, generative AI solutions? So, so yeah, two use cases that come to mind. Um, one is anything that requires a little bit of creativity. So, uh, a lot of these large language models um, are actually very good at coming up with creative responses to simple prompts. So if you're trying to do a customer outreach email, if you're trying to respond in a creative way, if you're creating content, maybe specific to a customer segment, um, just out of the box, you could just prompt this technology and it's very good at coming up with simple ideas. So, you know, I've seen CSMs use this for from, for, for everything for, from customer outreach emails to sort of basic responses to even creating content um, to sort of responding in communities, very simple things like that. Um, for more complex things now, if I think about um, every time I talk to a customer, it's very often over a digital technology, let's call it Zoom or similar. Um, and for a long time, these services have offered transcription where it would just record the entire conversation, which is a sort of more traditional form of AI, right? Voice to text. Um, but now this, these technologies are also able to take that and synthesize it. So you can get a summary of your conversations with customers. Um, And you can go one step further. You can take that and actually assign action items because it's able to parse through all that information and say, this is what the conversation was about. These are the next steps. And then also it can can use that, draft an email, send it out to your team and so on. So it can really automate some of those really simple workflows that are text-based. I'll just say one last thing is that we're also seeing some use cases around image creation as well. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm sort of creating, let's say a playbook and there's some degree of like image generation that's involved in that, that's more in the early stages. Um, but I'd say text is very much, uh, um, you know, um, um, uh, what I'd say is like, it's maturing very fast. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other interesting part that, uh, as you were talking to you, I started thinking about more and more, right. Is, um, you can almost in the future start to see how you could build, um, large language models around even your customer base that helps you then develop answers almost like ahead of time, right? You could almost train it on the communications you have. So if I'm working with, uh, you know, pick a big customer, working work, working with an enterprise customer, um, and we've had that relationship for 10 years, um, and if I can kind of plug all of those communications in over a 10-year period, um, now 
kind of losing a key person on our team doesn't just mean information goes and, you know, kind of leaves with them, right? You don't have key man risk, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, that you might have previously. And so now you can train it. Now it's got uh, a little bit more capabilities to kind of go back and forth. So I don't know, that's in my mind where I first jumped when you started kind of talking through that. Is that, I don't know, are you starting to see that even uh, kind of come through right now? Or is it, uh, do you still feel like that's a little bit of uh, a ways off? Um, certainly seeing it come through. I don't think I've heard the, I haven't heard the sort of key person risk or something um, as, as, as clearly as you've articulated it, but the idea of being able to just pick up without having to talk to somebody is actually very powerful. So let's say, you know, if there was a customer support agent that had a support conversation um, in today's world, or, or maybe six months ago, it would require, you know, uh, finding time to share information and or capturing detailed nodes, holding it in some sort of repository. Now, a lot of that can be automated. Like I said, you know, like the customer conversation is transcribed, summarized, action items assigned, and you can just see all of that asynchronously. So it actually, uh, you know, brings a lot of the workflows together faster. Now, if you extend that further and you think about all of the information associated with a single customer in one place, you know, if that CSM or that customer support agent were to leave the company uh, and be replaced by somebody else, it definitely, you know, uh, um, sort of uh, brings that onboarding much faster. So um, I've seen that as well, but I think the basic use case is how do I just get people connected and information yeah. sharing much faster, but there's definitely ways to extend it, like you said. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. Um, and I think the the uh, the teams, like you mentioned, like the creativity side of it, I've definitely seen um, like our, our teams here are exploring that too, right? Like, hey, um, if we need to write um, registration pages, landing pages, events, um, you know, emails out to customers, like how can we use it uh, as an assist, right? It's almost like, uh, the way I've described it to our teams is like, you never want to start with a blank page. So if, if it can help you kind of get to, to that V1 uh, much faster then like, that's the, the place to be plugging it in um, to use it. Um, I'm curious, uh, maybe Gopal, from your standpoint, um, I feel like, you know, uh, for B2B SaaS companies in 2023, there's been this, um, hey, we need to get back into more efficient growth um, and we need to kind of rein in what we're doing. And, and much of that has come in um, terms of, hey, maybe we need to focus on retention in our current customers. Um, maybe that means the CSMs are taking on some commercial responsibilities as well. Uh, and I'm curious if you've seen um, kind of companies use AI to um, either maybe help on the retention side um, or help on maybe uncovering opportunities of growth. I, I think both. And uh, it, it's, uh, I, I think it's, we should begin by just reflecting on where we are in the journey for a moment, right? I think if you look at the last five to six years, we've been uh, we've seen tremendous automation and digital capabilities become available to uh, customer success managers, customer support agents. Um, however, a lot of this is still sort of first generation tech. It's uh, brought a few things together, but there are still several aspects that remain disconnected. So you may have uh, some level of consolidation of a customer's health score in one place, but still uh, there's a tremendous amount of tribal knowledge that is sitting elsewhere in terms of customer conversations you're having, things that are in email. Then you have a whole bunch of uh, information about the customer in terms of transactions and uh, things like that that are also sitting elsewhere. And I think where we are is um, the year that we are in has certainly been a huge trigger for the interest in AI because 
Um, as uh, uh, you noted, we are in a period of do more with less. And so there has been a tremendous interest in uh, how do we get our people more productive because we're not getting any headcount. We have more to do because we have to drive better uh, retention. And uh, uh, as the focus has shifted back again from net retention to gross retention, uh, everyone is being held accountable. To your point, uh, the the many uh, many of those in CS roles are, are are now being measured by how much CS qualified pipeline, new leads that are being generated, but also seen through to uh, closure, both in terms of uh, 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 gross as well as net retention. And so I see two parts of activity there. One is uh, some of this is just basic analytics. And uh, uh, to those not within the industry, the audience that may be listening to this, this may be no surprise, but for those outside, I think it may be surprising, even shocking that even with the level of automation we have, the level of analytics we have to just know our customer better tends to be quite basic. So many are still on a long journey to even get better at that. So one part, there has been a doubling down of uh, just getting better on knowing my customer better in terms of what are they owning, what are they using, and just use simple approaches to figure out how do we better engage them so we can show value and retain them uh, when uh, when they're coming up for the next uh, re- renewal uh, in in any time this this year. However, on the other side, this has also driven a lot of interest in investing and uh, trying out new approaches with generative AI, uh, especially with some of the things you heard Rohan say. Uh, we we did a study early this year uh, uh, working uh, with, with a with a with a few companies, some of who uh, may may be in your audience, to look at what is the current level of productivity of uh, customer success managers. And uh, again, this probably comes as no surprise that nearly forty percent of the time, and we studied about two hundred uh, uh, CSMs in uh, different sizes, different responsibilities, and they all kind of averaged around to uh, 40% of their time was just spent finding the right information. Uh, Can I find the last email I sent the customer? Uh, What did we promise them at the last renewal? So just basic blocking and tackling takes up 40% 40 of their time. And many of these things in terms of uh, you go have a meeting with the customer, yes, you've had transcripts, but those transcripts also take, I mean, if you take a, hour long meeting with a customer and you're looking at an audio transcript, it's likely to run into 10 plus pages and no one has the time or patience to go read through it and really make sense of what the key points are. And now you can apply generative AI technologies to summarize it, synthesize it, even identify key actions. So capabilities like that start to significantly reduce the time that um, uh, CSMs and people in other customer facing roles are spending just to find the right information and start to shift towards how do I get better at being an advisor to the customer and helping them get value and outcomes. Uh, It's still work in progress. I'm not suggesting that everyone's gone from uh, spending 40% of time now to just 5%. But I think clearly people are seeing the kind of things that can change and there is a serious effort and investment. Even in a tough year, I've seen uh, companies now magically unlocking budget to go try some of this because they see the value as well as real uh, near-term potential in how 
your uh, resources can get a lot more productive. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Logic Vanilla. Stuck in the past with one to one engagement? With Higher Logic Vanilla, it's time to move past the status quo and go one to many. We call it scaled customer success, and it starts with community. More than just forums, community is the destination for engagement, the place where customers become champions and build stronger connections. So let's go one to many together. Visit vanilla.higherlogic.com to shake up success. Uh, super interesting. There's so many things I just wrote down that I wanted to um, kind of double back on that you just mentioned. The uh, the first of which is, um, I think there's been a very interesting shift that we've noticed uh, in the way that people are talking about, quote unquote, like scaling a customer success team. I think traditionally, or maybe early on, what that meant for people was like, I'm going to purchase a piece of technology. I'm going to automate some emails, some triggers, maybe a health score. Um, and that's what they would kind of view as scaling. And I think as people have gone on, you know, we've started to realize that um, that's only like one piece, right? I, we actually need to um, kind of redefine how we think about that. So I've come to terms with kind of two, I look at it maybe on two uh, kind of key points when you start to scale. The first one is resource optimization. So mm -hmm. I need to make sure that my people are doing the right things with the right customers at the right time. Um, and to your point, um, I think that uh, by and large, people would tell you from the outside, like, oh yeah, sure. Like we spend the right time on the right accounts. But then, you know, if you go in and do like a time and motion study, or if you go even look at, you know, uh, just a quick swath of like, okay, which, which customers are we talking to? You, you start to then start to realize like, okay, this doesn't seem like it's a, uh, a great engine yet. Um, and then the second one is just process optimization, right? Like I think um, a lot of times I actually think businesses are, are poor at building process. We build process um, internally um, without thinking about um, how to reduce kind of red tape and barriers yeah. and we make it frictionless. Um, and so therefore we actually create processes that are um, overcomplicated, do too many things, switch too many tools um, and that creates friction. And so those are the two vectors that I think of. And so as you were just talking, um, I can completely see how 40% of somebody's time goes to just trying to find information or even probably just getting processes and things done because it's just, you know, it starts to complicate too, as you get more people involved in a business. Uh, but I think that's just been an interesting definition shift that I've seen um, people start to make, which is now, okay, um, I can't just install technology and hope it just automates some of these touch points. I need to, uh, I think, go back to one, something that you had said, which was, um, like we need to make sure that we're spending the right time, like that our CSMs are spending the right time doing activities that we know can drive retention. Um, and that I think is just a, a big part of what we've seen in terms of conversation in the community right now. You make a great point if I could just add on to that, which is yeah. um, often as companies scale, they put in more process because things become repeatable. Things are documented going back to your key man risk point. So if someone else needs to take over, they have enough uh, prior knowledge from where to pick up. But what often ends up happening is these processes end up slowing people down because they have to do more of this documentation, they have to do more handovers. And that's really where uh, some of these newer AI technologies can really play a role of uh, assisting uh, people in uh, these kind of roles and keep them focused on what they need to do while taking away the burden of uh, working the process or keeping the process in place. Yeah. The, the other thing that um, I kind of keyed in on that you were just, uh, as you talked through, you know, some of the opportunities for, um, for people is 
this idea too of um, of uh, kind of talking to the customers like along that journey. I think um, I think you know you're going to start to see how AI can um, maybe parse through some of that data uh, once you're able to you know collect the right um, like the right data. I think that's the first uh, problem that we we see CS teams experience, which is uh, we almost collect everything instead of collecting the right things and then mm. kind of pushing the right things to the right areas. But uh, um, I think if you're able to collect the right information, you can start to see, um, great, it's not just on a CSM's intuition when to reach out to a customer, but we could actually use AI to surface, hey, um, these three things happen with this customer. And, you know, we think it's a good time for you to, to you know, to reach yeah. out and um, have that type of, of conversation. So, I mean, even probably surface, what type of conversation should you have? Is this a CSQL opportunity that is um, kind of being surfaced? Is it a... Uh, you know, a risk. We have revenue risk at the table. So uh, that was another thing I just picked up from your um, comments as well that I think is going to be a big, big part. Um, maybe Rohan, uh, back to you. As you as you start to um, think about, you know, we've kind of talked, hey, there's some great opportunities. You know, companies can start kind of investing now and thinking about, okay, how can I um, kind of bring in some of these AI technologies for my teams to use? Um, what are some of the, maybe the roadblocks that you've seen companies face when they're trying to go kind of bring these technologies in-house and start to use them and, and get on board? Are there uh, maybe anything that's, you know, stands out for you as like, hey, these are the two to three common uh, kind of risks or, um, you know, roadblocks that we see from from companies kind of trying to adopt this technology? Yeah, it's a great question, Jeff. And, and you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, from, from, from my perspective, I think, you know, there's uh, two or three things that come to mind. Um, one is uh, a lot of a lot of customers that I talk to seem to think that AI is going to reduce cost, um, and that's the goal that they're going for on day one, which is sometimes which is sometimes hard to do, right? Like you know, I think of cost as sort of on a spectrum, right? I, I, at one end, you have some degree of productivity improvement, where I'm going to make my people more efficient, and maybe the ultimate goal is I'm going to reduce my cost altogether. Um, I think you know that's a journey, and maybe on day one you're, you're going to spend, you're actually going to see a cost increase because this technology is not necessarily cheap. Then you'll sort of get to that point at which you're, you know, you're becoming more productive as an organization. Um, maybe you'll get to like this middle ground where I like to call cost avoidance. So maybe you're not saving money, but you're not spending more money. You were going to hire 10 new CSMs next year. Now you can hire five. Now you can maybe hire zero because your team is a lot more productive. And then, then you can get to this sort of nirvana of like, I'm actually going to reduce my cost base with AI. But I think one is people thinking that AI is going to instantly reduce our cost. I think that's a fallacy. Yeah. And even just thinking that is sort of almost like preventative, because if you believe that AI is not going to reduce your cost on day one, you almost don't want to take the leap. But I think people need to understand it's a journey. Um, the second, and I think you touched on this a little bit as well, Jeff, is, is sort of data. Um, ultimately, these sort of large language models, or at least the ones that are available off the shelf, are trained on are trained on the data available in the internet, which is great for conversation, for creativity, for understanding, but not very good for context. And so, you need to be able to give that you know you you have to give those models your context, um, enterprise data, customer data, um, employee information, and so being able to supplement a large language model that's you know. Uh, um, available off the shelf with like enterprise data is another challenge. And, you know, building those data pipelines, making sure the data is, you know, um, in a sort of, you know, like AI consumable format, that you've got the right tooling and technology that allows you to maintain 
privacy and security that allows you to continuously retrain your models and do it in a cost-effective way can be hard as well. So the way you get around that is just starting small, building a specific use case, showing value, and then you know also having a what I'll call like an AI native team, whether that's people you have in-house or if you have to look outside for that, just to build a team that knows how to work with this technology. And the final one I'd say is actually adoption. Let's say you get to the point where you've gotten over the cost hurdle, you've gotten over the technology hurdle. And you know all of us who work in the world of customer success, adoption is a golden word. And that's so true for AI as well. You know, Ultimately the value is only gonna happen or you're only gonna realize the value when your employees are using this repeatedly at scale. And these models are getting smarter over time. So um, it's not good enough to have AI. Uh, you have to actually get people to use it get comfortable with it, you know, build it into their workflows and like eliminate any degree of swivel chairing. You talked about this as well, right? It's all in like a bunch of different places. Um, AI, when it's effective, is actually integrated into what you already know and do. So when we talk about solutions like Copilot from Microsoft or Duet from, from Google, I'm really excited about that because it's in software that I use already. I don't have to go somewhere else. And I think there's a bit of an opportunity here with the CS space where, you know, as long as we can do it within our existing workflows, our existing tools, I think we'll see a little bit more adoption. So um, those are some things that I've been noticing. Uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I love your, the, the points, you know, if you kind of think about the cost curve, the, the, uh, the other thing that started coming, coming to mind for me too, right, when you um, start to see uh, CS leaders out there, um, think about scaling, right? One of the things that um, we've been trying to have a lot of conversation about is, um, I think traditionally what a CS leader might have done is said, um, hey, I've, I've kind of built my org and my kind of business case around just adding headcount. And it's been a traditional kind of role. I either have a CSM support or implementation has been kind of the three roles, right? Maybe a CS ops. But I think what you're starting to, to realize and notice is like, um, you know, we need to get outside of those traditional roles and you need to start to expand the skill sets that are on your team in order to take advantage of, I think, opportunities that exist today, which is, um, you know, I think of, hey, let's get like a scaled um, scaled marketing manager. Let's get a um, scaled programs manager. Let's get a community manager, right? Those are things that can help us kind of unlock um, kind of bigger scale instead of just a traditional CSM type of role. Um, so I think that's interesting that you were mentioning that too, because, or kind of mentioning the cost and the technology side, right? Because um, I think you're going to start to see that you you just can't um, kind of take CSMs and expect them to kind of do something different um, without, you know, trying to change who you're kind of bringing in or maybe even the kind of the, the skill sets that you have. Uh, I'm curious too, uh, maybe for either of you, are you starting to see um, teams try and find um, kind of roles or skill sets that are specific to um, kind of AI or, you know, are you starting to see maybe CS ops functions um, kind of open up roles that are specifically around kind of uh, data and integrations and workflows that kind of lend itself to, you know, kind of plugging in this type of technology, um, you know, much easier. And so I'm curious if you've kind of seen that maybe start to take fruition as well, like teams are starting to really kind of put job descriptions and roles out there uh, for that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I think uh, uh, last year, I don't recollect if it was last year or sometime in the last two years, uh, uh, we've also been uh, talking about this being the year of CS Ops. And I think you've had a few discussions on on that topic. And uh uh, I think that has certainly led to the creation of a more 
uh, stable foundation around having ops teams allowing uh, CSMs to scale. Uh, but for those that have been um, early on the journey and further ahead, uh, what's starting to happen is uh, now you're looking across the journey and saying ops cannot be just dedicated to CS because you need a full view of what's happening across the journey. And so ops teams are becoming uh, integrated across the journey. So to, to give you an example, uh, today, one of the use cases where you can see uh, a significant amount of uh, uh, unlock is uh, actually in support because uh, today for the average company, over 25 to 30% of cases they uh, get are simple ones that have happened before. There is a knowledge base, but the customer just cannot find the right uh, knowledge article or document to self-serve and solve it themselves. And so they end up uh, filing a uh, filing a filing a knowledge uh, sorry a, a support ticket and uh, one of the ways in which you can now uh, quickly drive better deflection and self-service is take that body of knowledge and uh, essentially get a model to ingest it and then uh, provide a better conversational interface to the customer so they can get to the answer faster and uh, uh, essentially not have to go further and file a ticket. Now, what that means is these kind of things will become routine within the organization in terms of uh, uh, ex taking existing corpuses of documents. Uh, these are already available. We Most teams have a, a knowledge teams that are following KCS or something to create knowledge articles. And um, these will start to become responsibilities of ops teams. And we're already seeing data science capabilities, advanced analytics and analysts becoming part of ops teams. Obviously it started there with better reporting, but that's now expanding to having data science capabilities and also starting to do things like this where you are managing what will essentially become an AI engine that goes across the, uh, the life cycle and across teams. Um, and as customer success also expands to cover the whole post-sale journey, not just limited to what we might uh, define as just customer success, um, these will become integrated. And given then the scale at which you will need to do this, um, you can rely, say, on a central ID function for some capabilities, but you will need to have some of this in-house because you have to be closer to the context, closer to those who are engaging customers. And so um, I would say in the last year, I've seen at least uh, five B2B tech companies uh, invest in expanding these types of capabilities in data science teams. And uh, that definitely is going to be a, a huge focus as we look, uh, look ahead at uh, 2024 for many planning season is coming. And uh, uh, that's definitely one of the conversations being had, which is, yes, CFOs, uh, you need new headcount, but I'm not going to approach just new CSMs. We need to think of new uh, types of skill sets and headcount that change the way in which we operate. Yeah, it's uh, another thing that comes to mind is I, I feel like those are the types of roles that help you. Um, you know, I know you mentioned kind of uh, do more with less earlier. I also think mm -hmm. it's about like just doing the right work, you know, like um, I, I think in some cases like those CSOps roles, like like you said, like thinking differently and how we want. Um, them to really change the organization is to like make sure that our teams are just doing the, the right work mm -hmm. because like you said it feels like there's just um, a lot of times where we're 
um, kind of uh, doing the manual work or doing something that um, you know could be automated potentially with AI or other solutions. Um, and if they can introduce that uh, in that way, then hey, we're doing the right work, and you know that also makes us efficient and effective. Um, it seems like maybe an interesting part right now. I know we've probably got uh, just a couple more questions, but uh, it seems like an interesting part right now would be that. Um, at least in my uh, interpretation is, you know, enterprise organizations are probably um, looking to adopt this type of thing, right? But it's going to take them longer. They've got um, potentially more uh, legal implications they have to go through. Then they also have probably uh, more teams, more processes and approvals. They also probably then have more technology that they need to sift through. Okay, where does this fit? So um, I would almost, you know, venture to guess, and I think, you know, I'm leading a horse to water potentially here, but I would almost venture to guess that um, smaller companies right now have almost uh, a unique advantage that in kind of a window, a timing right now where it's like, hey, if these solutions are becoming uh, are coming to market and they're much more approachable, um, now might be a, a great time for maybe a smaller, earlier stage company to kind of take some of the risks of, hey, how can we how can we bring this into our ecosystem much faster in terms of using AI for maybe our own solution and finding ways to, like you said, Rohan earlier, like adopt it into our integrations and workflows, or even how do I make sure our teams are using it? Because that could be a distinct advantage against an enterprise that's, you know, waiting months, potentially a year for them to really implement something. So um, there was a question in there, but now I think I already uh, said the answer. So uh, I, I heard, uh, <laughs> Jeff, I heard uh, two things. I think one, uh, the notion of being nimble, I think that definitely matters. And um, I think one one would say that, yes, smaller companies are generally more nimble, have the ability to be more nimble. And if you move faster, there is an advantage to be had. And I would certainly agree with that. However, I would also say that large enterprises can be nimble. Um, one certainly has to be watchful of many of the uh uncertain, unknown things, we're still learning about how these models operate. There is a degree of risk. And so um, uh, the caution is certainly advised. But many of the use cases here we are talking about is actually not something large enterprises have to wait for. Uh, just some of the use cases we've described in terms of uh, uh, having the assist for CSMs in terms of transcription and uh, uh, assisting with actions or for support agents to get better synthesis of transcripts and auto-creation of knowledge articles. Those use cases are actually prime for immediate application because they are dependent on a um, uh, 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 corpus of knowledge that largely exists. You don't have to go create a ton of new uh, data or uh, documentation. You already have this, you just have not been able to use it effectively. Rohan, maybe one last question that I was just thinking about as we um, as we look to wrap this up is uh, maybe from your standpoint, you know, as you um, as you you know put yourself into the shoes of maybe a chief customer officer, um, you know, kind of looking to take their early steps. Are there anything maybe like actionable ways that you would look? Maybe hey, what what are the first one or two things that you might look to? do if, if they're kind of starting from scratch and uh, exploring this? Yeah. Um, one thing I've been advising people is to think boldly about, about AI. I think like a lot of people have been burned, I would say, maybe by the last 10 years of AI, especially if I'm a CS leader, thinking about things like predicting, uh, predicting renewal rates, looking at customer health scores. I don't think it was 
you know, they didn't achieve the full promise and that's maybe burned people a little bit. But I, I fundamentally believe that this time was actually very different uh, because we talked about how easy it is to use, how immediate the value is and how consumer grade this technology is. And so um, I, I would say reset and think boldly about what is the full set of use cases that you can adopt. Because like with every other technology, you, you, you have a tremendous benefit with scale. The first use case might be um, harder to implement, harder to adopt, but every additional use case gets much easier and much cheaper. And over time, you're going to start bending that cost curve in the ways that as we talked about CFOs and CEOs are going to be pushing you to do anyway. So, so my advice would be just think boldly, but in terms of where to start, I think we've talked about, we've talked about a few, what I'll call low hanging fruit in terms of uh, um, CSMs and customer support agents. Uh, and then the next couple of dominoes to fall are likely going to be in things like uh, a community where you can have like self-managed and automatically managed communities in terms of responsing, uh, uh, responses, parsing through information, using that to create more uh, knowledge articles. The other one being learning and just any form of content creation, simple things like, you know, uh, um, just guides and text-based learning to more sort of, you know, longer form things like uh, um, audio narration. I'm actually seeing a lot of companies starting to automate their entire learning workflows as well. So I guess coming back to the point, right? Like um, what is it going to take for, for for CCOs to become truly AI native? I, I think that that's something they should be thinking about. And I think it will give CCOs a bigger seat at the table as well. Um, for a long time, and I think you touched on this, right? Like the, the, the CCO organization has been very labor driven. And we're now at an inflection point where we can sort of, you know, think about being technology driven and, and in fact, entirely AI native. Um, so think boldly would, would, would be my advice. Yeah, I, I think um, I just love the point, though, that, you know, I think um, often, you know, times if you can um, understand what the risk might be, but if you can kind of take that step and you can kind of find those those moments, right, where you kind of jump from step one to step five, right, like some of those step functions that you might see, that's where you start to see like real value creation. And if you can do that as a CCO, like you said, right, you kind of see that play out in a lot of like CRO or CMO type roles because um, they've kind of figured out those those scale methodologies or those scale functions. Um, and then they've got the metrics and kind of the, the um, uh, methodologies behind it, right? They've kind of got the math with funnels and everything like that. So I think that's where, like you said, I, I think you're starting to see how CCOs are getting uh, more adept at bringing models to the table like that, that can help kind of understand, you know, what are the outcomes we're driving and how are we doing it? And like you said, I think if you can invest in the technology, that's also where you get um, uh, a leg up because I think generally uh, the the customer organizations are usually the um, where all the labor hides, right? Because um, you usually are doing support. Uh, you're usually doing support and things where it, you know, generally in the past has, has just taken a large headcount if you have a, a large population of customers. So, um, well, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I appreciate you both, you know, coming and giving us uh, some insights. This has been super interesting uh, for me. I know, you know, there's going to be a ton of insights um, here for other people. Um, I always like to give uh, you all a chance at the end to kind of shout out, but um, is there anywhere that people can come find you? Is it LinkedIn? Do you guys, you know, uh, go on Twitter much? Is there, do you, you know, do you write um, any articles or anywhere that uh, anybody can kind of find some of your work? So uh, this is your chance to kind of plug uh, anything at the end uh, where people can find you more. I think LinkedIn is a great place. Um, I, I wish I could write more, but we have uh, written 
uh, written quite a bit over the years on uh, this this domain and uh, uh, will continue to write more, especially as uh, two passions, uh, customer and AI come together. Uh, so uh, LinkedIn is a great place. Uh, you can find me at uh, Gopal Srinivasan uh, at Deloitte and uh, should be easy to find. Uh, uh, so that's where that's where I would go and uh, happy to connect with anyone who's interested in discussing more on this topic. Awesome. Rohan, how about you? Yeah, I, I would just plus one to that. I try to be active on LinkedIn and I think like Gopal said, I think we can all do a little bit better to to sort of produce content. And that's that's sort of one of my goals for uh, um, for this year. Uh, my name's probably a little bit harder to find only because it's probably the John Smith of, of sort of names from India. And there's several <laughs> at Deloitte uh, themselves. I probably am one of five or six Rohan Guptas at Deloitte. Um, but, um, you know, you can look for me. I've got customer, I've got AI in my title. So just, you know, you'll find me. Um, and otherwise, uh, if you find Gopal, I'm a common connection of his. So that's the other way you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, we'll also make sure and link, um, we'll link your profiles in the um, description and show notes for everybody to find, but um, really interesting. I'll also go find some of those articles you've written over the years. We'll link some of those as well um, to just direct people back to your work, but um, appreciate the insights. Hope to stay in touch with you all and uh, maybe do this again. Uh, in six to nine months, and maybe things are all maybe things are different, right? Maybe things will change um, dramatically, and you'll have some uh, more insights to share. Hey, everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community. And we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.